Our scripture today is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 23. In him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks for you as I remembered you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the mighty workings of his strength. He exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Let's uh, pray. Lord, we, uh, if we are not careful, we, we can drown in verses like that because they are so full and so rich and so incredible and so beyond um, what so often is our great day-to-day existence. Lord, and so I pray that you would bring some wonderful color into our lives as we um, enjoy drinking from this from this fountain of your word lord i pray that you would wake up our souls that we would get excited that we would really be thrilled in our hearts um, at what we read In these verses. In Jesus' name, Amen. First of all, uh, happy All Saints Day. You can say it to me. Okay, let's be polite and nice. Happy All Saints Day. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, this is All Saints Day, and so it's been wonderful having these hymns and these uh, reminders in scripture that we're not just little North Gore, our little church here in the country and the national capital region, but uh, we are part of something which transcends cultures, which transcends time, which transcends, you know, the generations. And we find ourselves here as part of these all saints. So really, Today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, today is all about you. So say, Happy All Saints Day, me. 
There you go. Great. We're going to start by uh, looking at uh, a story of one of these saints, and uh, it's, it's actually a chilling story, and uh, there are parts of this story that I have removed uh, because, um, you know, there's eight, there are different ages represented here, but uh, if you're a grown-up, then you will be able to put, you know, to fill in the gaps. Um, so the setting is a mission compound in in the Congo jungle. The year is 1964. It's long after sundown on October the 29th. Um, Americans and Canadians would be celebrating their scariest holiday two days later, but what happened in that pitch black night was far worse than any imagined Halloween horrors. Helen was an unmarried missionary medical doctor who had turned her back on a bright future in England to bring healthcare to some of the world's most needy people. The Congo was in the middle of a violent civil war, and for some months the compound had been had been occupied by Simba rebels. Helen had been strongly counseled to evacuate the country, but she insisted that the people needed her medical services now more than ever. She heard gunfire, but that had become the norm. She was sleeping in her small bungalow, doors and windows bolted shut. Then without warning, her door was kicked down in, in barely a nanosecond. Such terror shot through her like high-voltage Electricity. electricity. She had to run. She had to get out to escape, to flee to the tangled jungle. And these are now Helen's words. They found me. They, they dragged me to my feet. They struck me over head and shoulders, flung me on the ground. They kicked me. They dragged me to my feet only to strike me again. The sickening, searing pain of a broken tooth, a mouthful of sticky blood. My, my glass is gone. Beyond sense, numb with horror and unknown fear, driven, dragged, pushed down, pushed back to my own house, yelled at, insulted, cursed. Then she says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After that awful incident, she was taken to a convent where women, including nuns, had been imprisoned by the rebels. Amid the terror, she was able to minister to other women and on one occasion to push a rebel soldier away from a trembling teenage girl who had just been brought in and to volunteer to go out into the night herself to suffer unspeakable brutality. Two months later, American and Belgian troops rescued her and others. Only then did she learn that many missionaries and countless Congolese had been brutally killed. So writes Ruth Tucker in her book, Extraordinary Women of Christian History. Now, friends, I want you to listen to this next sentence. Within a year, Helen was back at her base and was rebuilding the clinic and the school. And so Helen's story actually continues, and it is not sunshine and roses, far from it, um, in fact, I once heard Helen speak at my childhood church in Wales, and even at that young age, the story of this living saint was deeply impressed on me. And you can find out more simply by searching Helen Rosevere um, on the internet, and you'll find all sorts of resources there. This Sunday, like I've already said, is All Saints Day in the church calendar, and Robert Weber um, a scholar explains this. He says, All Saints Day always falls on the weekend after Halloween, which is uh, um, a, a secularization of the historic day of All Saints. Now, this 
Now, we're celebrating All Saints a bit early simply because uh, All Saints falls in the middle of the week. So we're actually we're celebrating it now. But, uh, it's, it, it's, but it's, it's the weekend after Halloween, which is a secularization of the historic day of All Saints. And so in today's words, Robert Weber says this, many parents are becoming alarmed by the entrance of the occult into the celebration of Halloween. And a good antidote to the underworld themes of Halloween is to return to the real meaning of All Saints Day, uh, a celebration of the life and witness of God's people who model a relationship with God for us. Amen. And Helen Rosevere is one such saint. Now, our text Today, if you were listening to Stacey Reader, you, you will realize that it's such a long text, really dense, um, that if we were to try to chew it all, then we would probably choke on it. So, like eating lots and lots of Halloween candy, right? There's only so much that you can take before being sick. So, instead, what we're going to do is we're going to take just a couple of verses uh, in from the middle that I feel that God might want us to focus on this morning. And one of the phrases from this short section in Ephesians 1 is this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Saints like Helen Rosevere and saints like you and me if we are in Christ. Therefore, like I said, all saints day is our day. And Ephesians 1 verse 18 is our promise we inherit as a unit, all together. Lord, may the eyes of our heart be enlightened so that we may know what is God's glorious inheritance in the saints. Lord, answer this prayer. Last week we looked at and we practiced what I called an all-seasons prayer um, and uh, and it was simply this, seven words that sums up the gospel, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Hands up if there's any here who practice that, you know, through the week, just as you were going about life, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I was practicing it and uh, it was uh, such a rich experience. If you haven't yet, I would just really encourage you that whatever you're going through, just pray, God have mercy on me, a sinner. It's an all seasons prayer. And this morning we're looking at another all seasons prayer. But this time it's a great prayer to pray, not for yourself, but to pray for others, for your brothers and sisters in Christ, when you don't know what to pray for them. Hands up again, if you've ever had someone and you're like, they love Jesus, they're going through a tough time, but I have no idea how to pray for them. Hands up if you've ever had that experience, right? This is the prayer that you can pray. And we know that it's uh, an all-seasons prayer because Paul introduces it with these words in uh, verse 15 and 16. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. So what we're about to hear next is a prayer that is crafted in the mind of the Holy Spirit and that is then transmitted through the pen and the personality of Paul with the goal that as siblings in Christ, we can know how to pray for each other. And maybe you're someone who says, well, isn't it rather dry, you know, to just pray a pre-scripted prayer? Isn't it richer and more honest just to pray in the moment and as the Holy Spirit leads? Well, what I hope as we look 
very briefly at this prayer is that you will change your mind and that this short prayer will actually become part of your spiritual weaponry as you fight for joy in your life and as you fight for joy in the lives of your siblings. In fact, as we start unpacking these uh, few verses, it might be good for you to have a brother or sister in Christ in your mind And for you to start imagining how you might start praying this prayer. In fact, you should all have a piece of paper. If you have a piece of paper, wave it around. Okay? (laughs) Uh, If you don't have a little square of white paper with the verse on it, then uh, we will make sure that that gets you. Is there anyone who doesn't have a white piece of paper? Okay, there are some here. Uh, I'm not sure where Stacey is. But if someone is... I think there might be a little pile there on the back. Anyway... If not, when she comes back, um, you can, uh, you can uh, ask her about that. Um, okay, verse 17. Oh, yeah. But also to say is that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not excluded this morning. And what I'm hoping is that this prayer will give you a taste of the good life in Jesus Christ that you could have this morning if you place your trust in him. Without further ado, verse 17 says this. Well, first of all, who are we praying to? This question is answered. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. We could spend a whole sermon series just on that one verse. Who are we praying to when we pray this prayer? We are praying, and I want you to hear this, we're praying into the relational framework of the Trinity. We are praying into a divine family, a divine community that is already established. We're not praying into thin air. We're praying into something that already exists here. So what am I saying when I say this? Well, what I'm saying is that Paul isn't telling the Trinity what they're supposed to do. Far from it. Instead, Paul is appreciating how the Trinity works and he's praying a prayer that reflects each member of the Trinity and how they relate to each other. Paul says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, right? Paul is praying to the Father through the Son because Jesus is the only one who communicates the Father's character to us as humans. We know the Father through the Son, so Paul prays to the Father through the Son. John 14 verse 6 says, it says this, No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Why? Because they've seen Jesus. So we know the Father through the Son. And Ephesians 1 verse 17 says that it's the Father who gives the Spirit. And this theme is reinforced in uh, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10 that says this. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. What a verse, what, what an image. For who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So we could say in summary that uh, Ephesians 1 verse 17 tells us that the Father of Jesus Christ gives the Spirit. This is how the Trinity works. And when we pray this prayer in Ephesians 1, 17 to 19, uh, we're praying to the Trinity about something that the Trinity is already committed to. 
We're not arm twisting here. And because we know who we're praying to, praying this prayer, we should be doing it in a confident way. So that's who are we praying to? What are we praying? Verse 17 says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of two things, wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So we're praying for something that the Trinity's already agreed upon and that the Trinity is alone is able to give our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and that is wisdom and revelation. We're asking God to show our siblings who he is. We're pleading with him to let our brothers and sisters in Christ in on the holy divine secret The New International Version words it like this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Friends, imagine if you knew that someone was praying for you to know God better through God's personal gift of revelation and wisdom. Imagine if you knew that in your friends' lives and in your family's lives that God was parting the clouds of obscurity and of doubt and of darkness and was sovereignly shining his light into their lives saying, this is who I am. So after unpacking who we are, or who we're praying to, which is the Trinity, and what we're praying, which is that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would give the spirit of wisdom and revelation, we now look at the why. Why do we pray this prayer over our brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, first of all, it starts with this phrase, that you may know him better. And friends, from here on in, I kind of want you to strap yourself in and keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because what we're about to do is we're about to dive really deep into the mystery of God, how he's revealed himself in the Bible. So are you ready? Verse 18 says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that, here's the why, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Why should we pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation over our siblings in Jesus? Paul gives us three reasons. Reason one, verse 18, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Reason two, so that you may know what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And reason three, so that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. So we're praying for three things. We're praying over our brothers and sisters for the hope of calling, for the wealth of, or or for knowledge of the hope of calling, for knowledge of the wealth of inheritance, and for the knowledge of greatness of power. I think that so many of us eke our way through lives because we don't know these things. Maybe we have our trust in Christ, but we don't know the hope of our calling and we don't know the wealth of of our inheritance in the saints that's there for us. And we don't know the greatness of power that is accessible to us in this moment. So these are three flipping amazing reasons 
why we should be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that the wisdom of, of uh, that the wisdom of the Spirit of the Father of Jesus would show us these things. And it's because your brothers and sisters in Christ need to know this, every single one of them. They, they need to know that they are called, that God has called their name, that God in his mind has thought of them. The hope of this calling. Now the word hope here is the biblical hope. It's not the hope of the world, right? I hope one day I'll be able to visit Italy. I hope one day I'll be, figure out, I'll be able to figure out how to use power tools, right? It's not that kind of vain, useless hope that may never get realized, right? No, what, what, what this hope, this, this word hope in the Bible means is it means to anticipate, usually with pleasure, it means to get your slivery glands going as you start imagining what it might be like. You start to drool, to anticipate with pleasure. Well, what is it that I anticipate with pleasure? If, if I look at my life, what is it that time and time again I anticipate with pleasure? Well, it's pizza and movie nights, right? That's what I anticipate with pleasure. Uh, it's that moment at the end of the week where all of the job responsibilities are usually done and uh, Wendy and me and the girls, we shut the door to the world and we sit down with our delicio rising crust pizza, although now we have three places in North Gore, so there's no reason for me even to go there. You know, there's so many options here, but it's there in the oven and it's rising and I can smell it and we're waiting, we're kind of eating the chips that we shouldn't eat ahead of time, smack, wait, right? And, uh, and then we sit down in that glorious moment of being in each other's presence. And I anticipate that moment with pleasure. I hope for that moment every week. And Paul is telling us that we can pray for each other this prayer straight from the heart of the Trinity that we can anticipate with pleasure that, that our brothers and sisters will know God better and that they will know what is the hope of his calling. And this becomes part of their hope, of their um, anticipating, of, you know, of their drooling, of their spiritual drooling. We can spiritually drool this over our brothers and sisters. Knowing that we can wake up every morning with a purpose knowing that every morning that God has planned something for us that particular day that will glorify him and will bring others closer to him. And this prayer is something, like I said, that we are supposed to pray over each other. I can pray it for you and you can pray it for me. Oh God, let my sister in Christ know the thrill of anticipation that she is called to you today, that you are drawing her deeper into you. And that's just the first bit. The second bit is arguably even better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. All Saints Day. The day when we as a, as a church remember that we have a family that stretches around the world and that stretches back through time with Helen Rosevere, with Mother Teresa, with Martin Luther King Jr., with Susanna Wesley, with George Verwer, with Martin Luther, with uh, Gladys Aylward, Madame Guion, John Wesley, Julian of Norwich, Corrie Ten Boom, Isabel Kuhn. Friends, we can pray for each other 
that we collectively, as a family, throughout time and throughout the world, would know God's glorious inheritance in the saints, which includes us. And friends, don't imagine for a moment that, that because we're sharing this inheritance with everyone else that we just end up with a thin slice of the pie, right? It's not like one of those lotto winnings where there's like 80 winners and you're like, oh, well, I'm sorry for you. You know, first of all, you know, one million sounded good, but when you're sharing among 80, one million's not quite so much. This isn't like that because that's not how God works. If you divide infinity by millions or billions of people, you still get infinity each. No matter how big the number of heirs is, we all get infinity. And because we're sharing this infinity with each other, it's not a greediness, right? We have the joy for knowing that, that each of us has all of God at our disposal. It's, it's like a sister calling up a brother who missed the meeting with the executor of the will, you know, and she says, hey, I'm sorry that you weren't able to make it today, but you'll never guess how much was left in the will for you. And that's kind of what I'm saying to you this morning, is that in Christ, you will never guess how much God has left for you in the will. Because when it comes to God, we all get everything. The wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And finally, verse 19 so that you may know, I, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. It's like Paul is, he's a conductor of an orchestra, and he's building to a crescendo, and his arms are getting more and more spasmodic, right, as the music builds and builds and builds, and this is where he's building to. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So hope of calling, wealth of inheritance, and greatness of power. And this power is immeasurable. But Paul still prays that his siblings may know this power that is immeasurable, which sounds impossible. How can you wrap your heart and your mind around something that is immeasurable? And I think that maybe that's what brings us to the heart of this prayer, that this is a prayer grounded in faith. It's a prayer that's prayed in the knowledge that you will never understand what it is that you're even praying what is the hope of our calling? Well, it's something that's beyond our ken. It's beyond our knowing, yet we pray it anyways. And what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in his saints, both throughout time and throughout the world? It's impossible to know, and yet we pray it. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? How can we know the immeasurable greatness of the most powerful being in and outside the universe. There's no way to know, but who cares? I'm going to pray it for you anyways. And then Paul goes on and he dives even deeper. You know, keep your arms in and your seatbelt on. 
as he tries to explain this power. He exercised this power, this power he was just referring to, in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand of the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things in every way. If you've not drowned yet, you should be drowning now. But in short, friends, that we're praying that our brothers and sisters in Christ will know the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the grave to the right hand of God. It's insanity, but there it is. It's in black and white in your Bible, and we can just leave it there as a nice statement of faith, or we can actually start praying it for each other. Friends, when I was... In Cambodia, I saw ordinary communities being transformed into new versions of the ordinary. I saw ordinary kids being loved with the love of Jesus Christ in ordinary World Hope schools. Um, I saw ordinary tribes people singing praises to God in their local language. I saw ordinary kids in Phnom Penh being taught English and playing soccer on an ordinary pitch donated by an ordinary Wesleyan church in the inner city. I heard the testimony of my ordinary translator and how God brought her out of darkness in, uh, of a dead religion into the life of Jesus Christ. And as I come back to North Gore, I have to believe that this is what God wants for us too that whether it's through the women's retreat at Silver Lake recently or the Change Conference this weekend or Cornerstone Kids on Tuesday evenings, that God's kingdom is breaking forth in the midst of the ordinariness of life and that seeds are being planted and that ordinary people are being made new in Jesus Christ. Amen. But while we're in the midst of this kingdom building, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to let our eyes fall to the ground because it's hard to see our brothers and sisters struggling in the middle of the battle and to not know how to pray for them. But Ephesians 1, 17 to 19 gives us this extraordinary prayer, this prayer for all the seasons of life. These verses give us a template so that we never need to be out of words or as, as we pray for our siblings, as we pray for all saints. We can pray a prayer that erupts from the heart of the Trinity itself. We can know who we're praying to, that we're praying to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We can know what we're praying for, that God would give our loved ones the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And we can know why we're praying, because we want them to know God better. Surely this is the ultimate aim in life for all of us in these short and ordinary 70 years on earth, that we may know God better. And how do we know God better? By having the eyes of our hearts enlightened. And so let's start praying this, faith, this, this prayer and faith over each other. I would encourage you this week, maybe on after that, is to really commit praying Ephesians 1:17 to 19 over people that your heart breaks over over people who you love, over people in the church who frustrate the heck out of you. Pray this over them, that the Spirit of God would open the eyes of their hearts so that they may know that God's calling is not weak, it's full of hope, that God's inheritance is not stingy, that it's full of wealth, and that God's power is not slight, but it is great. 
And here's a friendly tip. Don't worry about whether people are praying this prayer over you. Pray over them regardless. And don't worry if you understand every word in this prayer. It doesn't matter. Pray anyways. Because disciples pray God's heart over other disciples, or rather, saints pray God's heart over other saints. And I know that as you pray this prayer, maybe their their circumstances will change, but I know that you will be changed in the praying. And friends, if you don't know Jesus this morning, then I'd love to see you come to know him and access all that he has for you as you come to him in repentance and faith so that you can know the God of Helen Rosevere, that, that you can know the God of all saints everywhere and the God of us in our little corner of the world. Because once you come to know Jesus in faith, then you get the joy and privilege of starting to pray Ephesians 1, 17 to 19 over others and they get to start praying it over you. And the last thing I would say is that when we pray Ephesians 1, 17 to 19, we're not praying for people's circumstances to change. And this is why it is gold. Instead, what we're praying for in the midst of their situations that may or may never change, that they would go deep into God and that they would encounter Him there. That they would know these resources that the Trinity has for them. Resources that maybe up until then they were not even aware of. Let's close with 2 Kings 6. When the servant of the man of God got up early and went out. He discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. This is so much like our lives. We're surrounded. So he asked Elisha, oh my master, what are we to do? Elisha said, don't be afraid for those who are with us. Outnumber those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha.